to the Belly to Peak Nutrition Podcast. It is Lindsay and I this week with a listener Q&A. And this is um, pretty exciting because this is one of the first ones where someone has actually, like this what, This didn't come through the Instagram FAQ. This is one where um, people have been writing in more and more like questions or topics they would like to see covered. So we're going to try to knock out three. We're doing this during our son's nap. <laughs> so we'll see how far how far we can get. So without further ado, what's the first question? How do I tell the difference between cravings versus hunger? Are there tips to fighting both and how to respond to both? It's a good question. So I think the I think the first thing is like understanding the history on what's happening in both. With hunger, so your body has been to some degree programmed to consume a certain number of calories to maintain whatever weight you're at. Even if that weight is higher than you want, it's become accustomed to those. To the point of where if you were to try to reduce your intake below whatever that number is, it would naturally respond by sending hunger cues to you. So it's a, it's a hormonal response and the main hormone revolved is one called, or involved is called ghrelin. So if you are going to reduce calories to have a calorie deficit and therefore lose weight, is there any way you can do that and not feel hungry at some point? That is an excellent question and no. (laughs) I mean, I will say this, let me say this to clarify. Some hunger is a natural byproduct of of a calorie reduction, especially when you're trying to lose weight. That calorie, that, that hunger though should not be so intense that you are miserable throughout the day. And there are strategies that you can use based on what you're eating, how often you're eating, et cetera, where you could mitigate or you could stop that hunger from ever really happening. I mean, there's, in fact, there's a lot of people in the program who say like, I'm not hungry at all ever. And the goal is never to, to the point where they'll say like, I can't even eat to my target, like what, what the plan is set up at. And the goal is not to eat to the target. We really use them more as ceilings more than anything else. Um, but yeah, if you, if you eat something and two to three hours later, you're thinking I could for sure eat again, I'm I'm about ready to eat. Like that's a pretty normal sign of a deficit. And what's more is that that will dissipate or fade or get less loud is kind of the vocabulary we use sometimes. The longer you get used to being in that deficit to the point of where it might go away there's a lot more involved with this topic, but for the most part, that explains it. So that's that's the hunger. You are essentially fighting a hormonal response. That hormone is called ghrelin. It's telling you, look, you're not giving us what we normally get. So we're going to send this cue to you as a response to not getting enough. So you will eat. You'll give us what you've told us you want us to be at. Cravings are different. Cravings are just like a, I mean, could could be caused by an emotional response, could be caused by any number of things. So you're looking kind of at two separate things. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this, which I'll ask you in a little bit. So for me, um, in, in my opinion, because this is somewhat subjective, one way is how I'm feeling. It wasn't until I lost weight and I actually was in a calorie deficit that I could even tell you what hunger felt. I felt 20, I mean, I was 22, 23 years old when I lost weight. If you had asked me prior to that, what's it feel like to be hungry? I don't know that I could have accurately described it. So having had experienced the difference between the two, 
which is going to be a challenge for someone who's not experienced it, I'm able to easily identify now what's genuine hunger versus when does a brownie just sound good, but I'm not actually hungry for one. The second would be logic. If I ate an hour ago, even in a calorie deficit, I'm probably not genuinely hungry, meaning there probably is not a hormonal response to my low intake. If that is actually a hormonal response, so if you are if you are genuinely hungry after an hour, hour and a half, that's a genuine hunger response, whatever nutrition plan you're following is laid out very, very poorly because you should not feel, it should not be so severe that you're walking around in a state of hunger all day long. This might be opening up a can or too much of another question, but if you're still hungry an hour later or you don't maybe don't feel satisfied might be a better way to look at it. You're not fully satisfied. How do you know whether it's I haven't eaten enough or maybe you're working on eating slower so you don't just binge and overeat? How do you know, I guess, within the hour even while you're still at the table, gosh, I need to go back for another serving or I should be done or let me give it an hour and see if I'm still hungry. I think the, the, if, if in that moment, the thought of going back for more to fill up makes you feel like if I eat more, I'm going to be too full, then you're probably good. But if that thought of, okay, if I go back more and you ask your question, will I feel overly full if I go back for another helping and you can confidently say, no, I'd probably feel satisfied. It's worth going back up. The whole like wait an hour and see how you feel, allow that, you know, hormone to reach your brain to tell you stuff. That's <laughs> it's great on paper, but in practice, it's terrible. You will learn that over time, right? Like as you start to implement some of these, you'll learn what that feeling feels like. But it's hard to know, with exception to what I'm getting ready to say, it's hard to know if that's true or not. This is not this is heavy antidote, not uh, not science. Uh, the the test of does it sound good? If I think two hours after I get done eating, hmm, I'm hungry. What sounds good to me? Uh, brownies, some chips, like food that sounds good to every person on the planet. And then I run it through my filter of what about broccoli or an apple, like things that are less appealing to the average person. And I tell myself like, no, those don't sound good. I'm probably not hungry. And I know that because there have been many times, four hours after I get done eating or whatever, where you filter that question, like, give me a pack of mushrooms. I don't care what it is. I will eat it now. So it's less science-based, but I found that to bring pretty true true for me. I'm really curious to hear, like, as, as someone who has never, ever struggled with their weight, how you tackle this and feel free to be completely candid. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I, I guess I, the challenge for me in the past has been waiting until I'm too hungry, past the point of hunger, if that is a thing, waiting too late and then eating whatever I can quickly and then overeating. So I think that's probably a habit a lot of people have. I think I definitely associate with the feeling of craving versus actual hunger. Um, Often when I say, oh gosh, more macaroni and cheese feels good or more pizza feels good or more chips would make me feel better. We think back to my father-in-law's quote of maybe a big juicy apple would be good and it sounds terrible. Um, So I try to take it through that filter, like you said, but it doesn't always work. I think where I've seen this come into play has been around having little kids. 
So we give a breakfast of toast, peanut butter, some bananas, yogurt, eggs. And at the end of the favorite foods they get eaten first, he'll say, I'm still hungry. I'm, I'm hungry, mom. Oh, go ahead and finish what you have on your plate. Oh, need more. Of course, it's of the muffin or the carb. The plate is finished. Are you still hungry? I'm still hungry, mom. Great. Would you like more of, you know, broccoli, whatever? Oh, no, I'm full, mom. So I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but that's where I see it come out where it's very evident that craving and hunger are very different things. So it's a true story. We took our, our boys camping not too long ago took them out and gave them the classic s'more right so we've took our young or we took our oldest whenever he was an infant took him camping he did great but he was so young that he really couldn't explore a lot of like what camping's what's fun about it and we we bring the s'more stuff we make one grant demolishes his first s'more dad i want another we're camping so i'm like yes absolutely make him another one that dude struggles to get through the second one. And this goes to show you like what it, what cravings can do when things taste good. And this is one of the problems what, where people label good and bad foods, right? Like in bad foods tend to be foods that are higher in calorie. They taste good. They're sweets. They're packaged in, you know, like in the sense of potato chips or brownies or whatever. One of the problems with them is they're so hard to control because they're so good right? Nobody's sitting down to 10 apples and being like, God, I could go for an 11th or 12th, <laughs> right? It, that's, that's one of the, the, the calories in the chips and the brownies are not the problem. It's that we have a really hard time stopping. Case in point, make Grant a second one. That dude spends 45 minutes to an hour trying to get through it because he's already had dinner. He's already had another s'more. He's working on his second s'more. He finally gets to the end of his second s'more looks up at me and has the audacity to say and he looks like this point like he's gonna throw up i think you were in the tent he looks at me he's like dad want another s'more (laughs) (laughs) it's like no way you're not getting another s'more so then he just looks at the fire looks at me and he's like dad i'm ready to go in the tent (laughs) so he goes to show you like food that tastes good is hard to stop at even when you're full and that is in a really simplified way that what, what's hard about can, what's hard about having what we call hyper palatable, which is just a, a fancy word for really, really tasty treats. So yeah, I think it's hard to identify at first. You can use some of those three things that we talked about to process whether or not you feel like it's a craving or a hunger. I would say this though, if you are in a block of training where your activity or your intensity or the volume is really, really high, you will be really, really hungry. So it's not abnormal after an hour. If you're eating what your normal lunch used to be whenever training volumes were low to be like, dude, I could go for more for sure. That's not uncommon at all because your, your, your caloric burn is so significant because of training that you're that that ghrelin that hunger hormone is saying i don't know what you're doing to us but we need way more than what you're giving us and that's that is worth paying attention to that reminds me of the first hike that we ever took probably that you ever took in your life since kyle had moved to idaho um we load up packs that were far too heavy for what we were doing and set off and he had had an orange and 14 almonds and a small non-fat Greek yogurt and a sal- side salad maybe. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. It was in it was in the car, but it was it was definitely just like this very 
little bit amount. That was maybe almost 10 years ago, I think. Yes. Yeah, so we head up the trail and are doing okay. And then as the day went on, started to really struggle thinking, did I drink bad water? Am I having altitude sickness? And you know what, what's going on until an older gentleman came up and said, I think, I think you just, I think you just need some calories. So, so I think it's worth considering what you're doing. Am I working harder? Am I outside in the sun? Am I, has it been longer since I've eaten? Is, am I out of my same routine? I think that's when it throws people with, with that. Is it best to prep and eat ahead of time to avoid getting to that extra hunger or wait until you maybe an hour after a hard workout you realize gosh i'm never hungry at this time and then make up for it then it's a good question and that story was actually like the catalyst of where i was like where i started thinking well everything you know about performance nutrition with baseball basketball soccer etc would apply here why don't you try applying it so that's like maybe the catalyst of valley to peak actually that was a long time ago so it's a good question um it's a, it's a, it's hard to answer number one because at the end of the day this is what valley to peak is right it's helping people come up with strategies to fix the problems that they've had in the past to meet their nutrition demands to prepare and train for the mountains so everyone is going to be different you could say well if my activity is going to increase i'm going to preemptively eat more calories to prevent this problem from happening. In fact, it's a really interesting that you bring that up because just this week, someone in the program started going to do an exercise or a training program with consistency, which they had not previously done. They said, well, I used to always eat something a couple of hours afterwards, but I haven't been because I haven't really wanted it. I haven't been hungry after the workout, which isn't uncommon, but I notice I'm starving at the end of the day. And so what she was showing was exactly what we we're describing you could preemptively do it and that is the value of like uh, you know we always talk about know your numbers that is the value of knowing your numbers is if you know your numbers all of the guesswork's taken out of it and you can start to learn what the hunger cues look like and respond intuitively based off of that the idea with like tracking and knowing your numbers is not to do it forever it's to do it for a period of time to reach a specific goal and then you move into something that just feels more natural because you've spent time observing what's factual Right. I don't know many people who want to be married to the rhythm that it takes in the beginning to learn about nutrition. And you don't. It, it ends up being second nature. With exertion or extra exercise or, you know, this program that you're talking about, this client doing, I could definitely see the benefit of consciously choosing the right foods before a workout. So you do have energy. I know that if I am not conscious of what I'm eating or not drinking water enough or whatever, I step into some sort of exercise or workout and the blood sugar tanks. I don't have the energy. You know, you reference people hitting a wall sometimes when they're working. So I assume it's not just eating before these things. It's it can be. I mean, so yeah, we've been together twice where you've literally passed out and I've had to catch you um, after some sort of heat related slash exertion, not eating type of thing. I will tell you this, like what, what you eat does matter as far as managing the hunger. For example, two low hanging fruit things to make sure that you're doing is one, you're spacing it right. Don't let giant gaps of time come between meals or any person on the face of the planet, even after, a, you know, the highest calorie meals going to exhibit some hunger. 
The second is the more often each of those meals that you've spaced have some kind of protein dose in them, you're going to feel fuller longer than had that meal not had any protein in it at all. So timing and protein inclusion are two really big ones right off the top to take away. So yeah, what you eat can matter. And that's, again, that's kind of where you, where you have to sit down with someone and really decide, or, or you, you have a conversation with yourself and really decide like, what does that look like? It, it, it's, it is a pain in the rear end to create a plan, right? Just like finances, it's a pain in the rear end to sit down and create an actual budget. But when you create a plan, like when you create a budget, the outcome is so much better. It takes all of the guesswork out of it. It takes all of the emotion out of it. It's just logic. And if you execute the plan, it's it, you literally cannot fail. You've talked about this personally. You've talked about this with clients as well. What happens when you are following your numbers or at least have maybe a loose plan about, you know, this is what I'm going to eat. For me, it is helpful to say I'm only going to eat at certain times just so I'm not snacking all day, right? What if you get to that time and you're not hungry or you're ahead of time and you are truly hungry? That's going to be a mixed bag for everyone. So if you if you set up a time, like let's say that you plan to eat breakfast at eight, lunch at noon, dinner at five or something. If you get to lunch at noon and you don't want something, you don't eat it, <laughs> right? You would wait until two or one whenever you develop the appetite for it. Some of these parameters, the goal is not to stuff yourself and feel miserable. The goal is just to have some guidelines, a plan and some structure, right? For, for most people who've not had that, it's kind of like I wake up, I eat and I don't know. I hope, I hope I get this nutrition Sudoku puzzle, right. And wind up where I'm supposed to be at the end of the day. And like my dad used to always say, and it drove me crazy. If you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. And it's kind of true here. The flip side's harder. If you set a time for eight noon and five and you get to 11 and you feel like, man, I'm really hungry. If you truly want my best advice, you would wait. You would just wait because if you don't, you eat at 11 and then you get to three, you're starving, you're grabbing Snickers and anything else that you can because the family dinner's not until five. And then you get home at five. And because the Snickers bar didn't do anything for you, you're snacking while you get dinner ready, you eat dinner. And then before you know it, like your whole plan is off the rails. And it's true of, I mean, it's even true on the performance front. Like we're talking a little bit on the weight loss front. It's even, it's even true on that front in the sense of there are certain nutrients responsible for performance from a recovery and a fueling standpoint. And if you don't strategically plan to get those in, you will not meet the lower thresholds and you will not perform well. That's, that is, that might stink. It might suck that you gotta, you know, sit down and come up with the time to plan that out, but it's a reality that you gotta, you have to face at the same time. I think when I read this question, I, I think of a, you know, continuum or a spectrum where you have kind of craving on one side, hunger on the other, maybe you're, I guess the spectrum of not hungry all the way to hungry might be a better way to look at it. I think where I've struggled is knowing, okay, am I truly hungry? Am I getting close to being hungry that I can hold off for a minute? Am I, did I eat enough, but I'm going to be hungry soon, too soon? Am I satisfied or am I full? And then there's just full on stuffed, but you know, that I think for me is what makes the question difficult is that it's not just full or hungry. So how do you recommend handling the in-betweens of, 
gosh, I think I'm satisfied or I'm, I don't feel full, but I think I'm okay for now. Is there kind of a, a point or a, you know, benchmark that you say, once you get to here, hold off for a little bit eating more. Yeah. I mean, I, so I think it's a scale of one to 10, right? Like if you're just going to simplify it, the idea is that you never let yourself get on any end of that polarizing spectrum. If you find yourself on the end of that polarizing spectrum, either being totally ravenous or completely stuffed out of your mind, something's wrong with your plan, right? Because again, this is the value of having times that may seem really obsessive, but if, if you have a time, it's not about, it's not about restricting yourself until the next time it's to remind yourself to eat. So you never find yourself at a one where you're just completely starved out of your mind. Right. And so if, if you view it from that perspective, really you're eating every three to four hours, maybe at the most. And if you plan out what's a part of that meal, in other words, you're not just drinking a giant glass of orange juice and half of a muffin, which has no protein and nothing that's going to keep you full. You're actually coming up with something that's going to keep you full. The chances of that lasting longer than the muffin are far greater. And even let's say that it gets you to 11. We're talking about an hour, maybe 45 minutes until your next meal, not tomorrow. It's, it's literally prolonging and having like, it's just, it's just riding the wave, right? It's, 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 and what I have found, this is true of me personally, and even in, with working with people, we have a really high emotional connection to a feeling of hunger. We feel like the world is going to, you know, end when we feel any twinge of hunger, we want to fix it immediately. But in reality, if we, if we speak to what's actually happening, it's just your body saying, Hey, I'm, I'm, probably getting ready to eat here in a little bit. So if you want to start dinner or whatever, then that's fine. You, you, you have an abundance of food available at your fingertips for most of us, and you will fix that problem within the next hour. So the idea, when you take the emotion out of it, your anxiety goes down. You're like, I can wait an hour. It's not that big of a deal. For people who don't know what hunger feels like or full feels like or they maybe they don't trust it might be a better way to look at that they're trying to train themselves trying to come up with a good plan for me when i'm hungry the low i assume it's the same as low blood sugar maybe i don't know i get dizzy i get lightheaded i get irritable um people get tired they feel like they don't have energy to do things headaches maybe the feeling of fullness i think we all probably just feel a little bit of good but <laughs> a whole lot of, whole lot of hurt. Um, is there a way, I guess a checklist or something that people know, oh, this is what satisfied feels like, or, or you might say, this is what true hunger feels like. It probably depends on the person a little bit. It's going to depend on the person in my, in my mind, like the good litmus test is if you pause for a minute and some of these terms are really like crunchy, (laughs) meaning like sort of touchy-feely which makes some people uncomfortable but there's good premise behind them if you give yourself a little bit and you're contemplating do i want more or don't i the question of like if i eat more am i gonna like am i gonna have to unbutton my pants am i gonna be so full that i'm miserable if that's the case then i probably wouldn't go back if it's the case where you're like i think i could probably go for it i think i could and not like go for it as in full send go for it like i could eat this and not be too stuffed then it's worth doing my suggestion for like, how to identify hunger is 
unpopular among the world of dietitians, but this is coming not just with my scholastic hat on, like not just my academic education, not just my training, but as someone who lost 140 pounds, I don't think you can know what it is without being in a deficit and knowing what it is. I don't think there is, I don't think you can describe to someone, oh, it's a gnawing pit. Well, what's a gnawing pit feel like, right? I mean, that's going to feel different for everyone. If you're getting to the point like you talk about where you're dizzy and feeling like you're going to pass out, you're beyond the point, (laughs) right? The idea is not not to get there. So, I mean, I guess if you were going to put objective numbers to how do you identify this, you'd figure out what you need to be in a deficit. You track your food, give yourself the opportunity for a couple of weeks to feel what that feels like, right? And, And that's unpopular because some people would say like, well you're encouraging people to starve. That is not at all what I'm encouraging people to do, but it's impossible to know what that feels like unless you are in a true deficit. And I would tell, I think I said this earlier, like I would not know what that, I did not know what that felt like until I was 23 years old. And the value of knowing what that feels like now has allowed me and a lot of people to maintain the weight that they lost, right? Because there is, this may be my job and I may have had success there, but I would be completely lying to you if I'm not having to do these decision trees in my own head of like, okay, it's been two hours. I know you want something, but it's only been a couple of hours. This isn't true hunger. Sure. The brownie sounds good, but like, it's not doing anything for you from a, from a performance or a training standpoint. It's definitely not going to do anything for your weight. So just wait until lunch comes in an hour. I also want to say this. There are times where you say, screw all of this and you eat the cake, you eat the you eat the s'more, you go full send on things, right? Holidays, birthdays, celebrations. This is not like a live and eat and breathe and die by this rule for the rest of your life. Suck all the fun out, blah, blah, blah. Not at all. But for those other days, like the other 90% of the year, I think it's good information to know. Last part of the question, because we do face it every day. We have a baby who is on a fairly typical schedule, but sometimes it gets thrown off. We have a three-year-old who is a very typical three-year-old and we have us. Um, I'm sure a lot of parents say, I can, I can do mine, I can you know, manage my own, I can set the times for myself. But is there something that either people trying to develop good habits or people trying to develop good habits in their kids that you can do if you're the one in charge of the food or in charge of meals or whatever, is there something that we can do to know if those you're caring for are hungry? I think it's the exact same thing. And you talked about this with our oldest, right? When he eats dinner, there are some things on there he loves. And there are some things that if he never saw again, he would be more than happy to never see again on his plate. We always put everything on there. And you always ask him when he says, mom, want more pizza, mom, want another muffin, mom, want more pancakes, mom, want more of this, more of that. And truly, sometimes we'll be out. Do you want more eggs? Do you want more chicken? Do you want more broccoli? Do you want more zucchini? Do you want more oranges? Do you want more yogurt? No, no, no. It's a pretty good litmus test that he's good. So I think, you know, that's basically putting him through the same decision tree of like, of what we talked about earlier what are you are, when you say you're hungry what are you hungry for can because he will if he's still hungry he will demolish all of those things that we just named but if not 
then he's he's usually done. And then and I think too the timing piece, right? Like if you're giving the if you're giving the kid a breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner, and he comes to you like an hour after he gets done with a solid breakfast and is like, want the sucker, you know, want more thinking about what he want a cake, want a cookie. That dude loves his sweets. It's he's not hungry, right? He is functionally speaking. He is not having a moment where his body is like, I'm not getting enough. Give me the cookies and the cake. He's just a three-year-old kid that wants cookies and cake. And in those scenarios, like the way that we handle it is, okay, we'll give you a cookie when you have lunch. We'll just put it on your lunch plate, right? And But it's also with a bunch of other things too. So it's not like we're saying, no, you can't have anything fun for the kids either. What we'll do is we'll say, okay, well, that sounds good. Let's let's have that for lunch. Let's have that for dinner. Let's have that for breakfast tomorrow or whatever. So he still gets it. It's just not until like the mealtime. So this is in c- contrast to like a, some people we know. <laughs> Some people we know who kind of just, yeah, just kind of give their kids stuff all day long. And the kid then comes time for the meal and he's like, I don't want it. I don't want to eat. Don't want to eat lunch. Don't want to eat. You know, so like when I was in the hospital, I would get parents come and they would say, he won't eat breakfast. He won't eat lunch. He won't eat dinner. And my question to them was, what does he eat the rest of the day? Well, we give him a, you know, a squeezable fruit pack kind of whenever he's playing earlier on and some vanilla wafers and we give him uh, one of those go-gurts and give him an apple and a couple of cheese sticks while he's playing with his friends. Well, he has no appetite. He's been eating all day. No wonder he doesn't want to eat or he or she doesn't want to eat when it comes time to eat with the family at lunch and dinner. And we're the same way. If we're nibbling all day and we don't want dinner, that's probably why we're, we're not hungry. We've been satiated all day. All right. So here's the second question kind of lengthy and I'm sure we'll break it down a little bit. Do you calorie plan for the week based on weekly calorie demands or daily calorie demands that can fluctuate? And this guy goes on to explain that his family likes to cook and share kitchen time. Usually he eats really great, but on the weekends, he tends to liberalize that some. So he's curious, is it doable that if his net calorie intake at the end of the weight at the end of the week matches his needs, is that bad versus just keeping a linear calorie intake per day? So essentially, if I eat five days below my intake and then the weekends are higher than my estimated intake, but the net intake is at my goal, is that any different than just daily eating at my goal? That's actually come up for me a lot. I, my job, I guess, within Valley to Peak, one of them is what we call running the numbers. So I look when people track what they're eating, um, it's broken into fat, protein, carbs, and different nutrients, calories, whatnot, and total calories per day. And sometimes I'll look at the numbers and there will be outliers. So it'll be very consistent. I don't know the days of the week, but four to five days of the week, very consistent. And then there might be a couple that are way high or way low and always kind of for whatever reason even though i'm just putting them into you know calculation it always strikes me and i think oh no they were really high one day or oh they didn't meet their goal one day they were really low i wonder what that was like um but we take a weekly average so oftentimes it is consistently very close to their goal but there is even just looking at these numbers and what people are eating that little bit of (gasps) you know, where it seems super high or super low. And I would think that if you're wanting to remain consistent 
and have a plan, you'd want it. I, I would lean more toward the daily consistency as opposed to the weekly net total. Yeah, that's a good question. So your daily intake does not matter if at the end of the week, in the end of the month, the net intake is a reflection of what your goal is. And that goal could either be you're trying to maintain weight, you're trying to inc- you're trying to maintain weight and improve performance, you're trying to increase weight to increase muscle mass or performance, or you're trying to lose weight while maintaining performance. No matter what the actual goal is, if the net intake matches what your need is based on that goal, the results will follow. However, you can dig yourself into a pit really, really, really fast, borrowing from the entire week to go full send on the weekends. And that's twofold. One, when you're going that low during the week, it dramatically increases that hunger hormone we just spent 30 minutes talking about, which increases the amount of cravings you get, which makes it really, really long week. And when it comes time to the weekend, because you've spent the week so low, you're ready to really send it, right? You're ready to eat everything you've been dreaming about all week long. So you go to the weekend and 99 times out of 100, a person takes the intake higher than they had anticipated, which negates whatever that goal had been. So essentially you've just wasted an entire seven days. In my opinion, it's easier to know what your targets are and keep a linear intake over the course of the week. In other words, don't change them from day to day. Like the terminology that we use a lot is complexity kills compliance. The more you're borrowing and taking loans from other days to pay off the calorie intake that you're planning to do this weekend or whatever, for some cheat meal or whatever, the more you're going to get yourself into trouble. However, it is really, really nice to know if you've got a birthday party, an anniversary, a work travel trip or whatever, that if you wanted extra room for those and you didn't want to just like just take the day off or whatever that you could create that because the net deficit's what's going to matter the most how do you come up with seven days does something magically reset in seven days or at the end of 24 hours why are why are those i guess the parameters well they're not i mean really you could tease it out to 30 days, you could tease it out to 10, eight. It's just the number we use because we do weekly check-ins or bi-weekly check-ins or whatever. So it's not, there's no metabolic reset happening at the end of seven days. It's just what we use because most people base their months off of the weeks in the month, right? So, and then, like I said, our our check-ins are weekly, but yeah, there's nothing special to there being seven days. Let's say that someone did want to remain consistent daily you know just stick with that goal or within the range i guess near their goal if they get to the end of the day kids go to bed sit down for a movie oh i have i I call them points i have calories left i have points left is that a good time to say hey i'm gonna go ahead and get to my goal or you know goal or to my um ceiling calories for the day the goal again like with calories and having a goal and tracking and all of that is not so you can like just send it as far as you want all of the flexibility is nice if you wanted to as well in the scenario you just painted i think that like there have been multiple people i've worked with who love ice cream right and they love having it after they go to bed we will just say you know what every single day 
just plan 200 calories worth of ice cream. Just take it off the top. Plan to have it once those kids go to bed so you can just sit down, watch whatever it is you're going to watch, and eat 200 calories worth or whatever you want to eat worth of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So yes, that's an excellent place. If you've spent the day budgeting, you've got some leftover and you want to treat, there is quote unquote permission or flexibility or allowability there. And even in the context of the net calorie intake conversation, that's the beauty of nutrition. There is so much flexibility. You don't have to be as rigid as what most people, i.e. Facebook groups, (laughs) suggest you have to be. So you can go on a date and you can eat pizza and you can eat ice cream at 11 p.m. and you can do all of these things you've been told not to do so long as it's within the parameters of whatever your goal is. Thanks for coming on and joining us on the Valley to Peak Nutrition podcast. We will be back again in a couple of weeks. If you have any suggestions or topics you want to hear covered on the show, you can send them to info at v2pnutrition.com and we would love to chat about them. Have a good week, everyone.